down 50% one week, up 30% the next. With so many of us scratching our heads trying to make sense of Bitcoin and the other major cryptocurrencies, especially given their recent extreme price volatility, I decided that it was time to pull in an expert, one of the earliest and most active pioneers in the crypto space. He shares a lot of great insights I hadn't heard before, but in short, he expects a continued wild ride ahead. Anytime a currency nears collapse, whether it's Germany, you know, 100 years ago, uh, speculation is the only hope people have to make enough money to stay ahead of the inflation. People are forced to speculate uh, and they see some people winning massively and they think that's my ticket because gambling is the only hope because investing no longer makes sense given the environment. So everything I see going on here is completely predictable and I would expect it to continue until the currency collapses. It's just gonna get more and more excessive speculation, more and more volatility. Hello and welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart and today we are speaking with a very special guest. We're gonna be talking with Dan Larimer, who's a software programmer and entrepreneur who has played a prominent role in the cryptocurrency ecosystem since its early days, most notably for his creation of multiple blockchain projects, including Steam, BitShares, and EOS. I invited Dan in the program this week as I've been covering the recent price action in the cryptocurrencies, but I'm feeling acutely aware of the deficiencies in my own understanding of the space. I am definitely not knowledgeable enough to be considered a crypto expert. So I thought I'd bring on someone who is, uh, who can hopefully provide a much more informed perspective. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Adam. Oh, that's a real pleasure. I really enjoy the conversation that you, uh, Mike Maloney, and I had a month ago, and uh, very excited that you could take the time out of your busy schedule to answer some of these questions. And it seems like you're taking them from bag end, no less. Yes. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want to live in the Shire? Yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, I got a number of questions for you, but just for the folks watching who don't know what Steam and BitShares and EOS are, can you just give a very brief summary of your deep history with blockchain technology? Um, mostly just to impress on folks really what a rarefied expert you are and how, how fortunate we are to have somebody of your stature and tenure in the, in the blockchain space on this program. Um, in, in fact, I, I believe you actually interacted with Satoshi Nakamoto, correct? Um, he's the uh, yeah. purported creator of, of, of Bitcoin. Yeah, I discovered Bitcoin way back in 2008, 2009, right when it was coming out, because I was attempting to create the uh, solution for digital currency that did not depend upon uh, governments or gold or silver to back it uh, after things like e-gold and the governments had clamped down on that. So I've been, uh, in the space for a really long time. And one of the first projects I did was BitShares, which was an attempt to create the first DeFi or decentralized financial platform uh, that allowed you to trade gold, silver, and dollars on the blockchain in a completely decentralized way. Uh, they're, they're basically derivatives um, on the blockchain. Uh, and in order to do that, I had to advance the state of the art of blockchain technology so that we could have faster confirmations uh, more reliability, governance on chain. So I, I built the first decentralized autonomous organization, DAO, uh, you know, developed dele delegated proof of stake, which is where the token holders vote to elect the people that are running the chain. Um, and there's a number of other innovations. 
Uh, so that's where I got my start with BitShare is trying to solve the problem of the government's regulating the exchanges, the on and off ramps for Bitcoin uh, so that we could create entirely self-sustaining communities uh, of people using these uh, um, digital currencies. Then I started asking myself the question, well, not everyone wants to contribute financially to uh, something so risky, uh, but you know, money is just one form of capital, time, energy, uh, attention is another form of capital. So I created Steam, which is the first decentralized social media platform where you can earn tokens by posting on the blockchain. The content is hosted on multiple websites uh, and the token holders are basically voting up content and allocating rewards. It was one of the fastest growing blockchains, one of the fastest growing websites um, at the time. Uh, and I think it's still the largest blockchain-based social media platform. The community has since split into Hive uh, hive.blog. Um, and then I took all the lessons I learned from BitShares and Steam and created EOS, which is a smart contract platform, which allows anyone who wants to build these applications to do so in a faster way and to integrate them together. Uh, and this has been, you know, over the course of the past 10 years of, of research in an industry that's only about 10 years old. All right, well, um, okay, so clearly you've been there from the very beginning uh, and you've been a pioneer in creating a lot of kind of the, the, you know, the core applications that have been built off of the, the, the blockchain. Um, Dan, I'm really hoping that this is the first of a number of discussions with you going forward. Um, I really do want to um, get into the technology side of it, really understanding sort of the promise of, of uh, the blockchain and what makes you most excited uh, when you look you know, ahead. And I know that you're, you're involved in some really interesting projects uh, like Eden OS, which I'll give you a chance to, to talk about real briefly at the end of the conversation here. Um, sure. But I, I don't want to give that topic short shrift. So I don't want to compare it with all the questions I have for today, which really are at a much higher level and they're geared to the people in this viewing audience who are watching sort of the recent volatility in the cryptocurrencies and, and just trying to sort of wrap their brains around the, the space in general. So let, let, me, let me dive into the questions here. Um, the crypto space got hammered price-wise over the past uh, couple of weeks. Um, it has recovered a little bit uh, uh, you know, at the time of this recording, Bitcoin got hammered down from a high of about 64,000 to about 30,000. It's now trading at around 38, I think around the time we're talking here. Um, so prices of most coins though, like Bitcoin were down you know, 50% or more um, from their highs, uh, you know, judging from where they were just this past weekend. Um, do you see this recent you know, sort of 50% correction in the space um, as any different from the many previous you know, kind of large price corrections um, in the crypto space? Or do you just sort of see it as, same old, same old. Hey, this just happens every so often. And uh, this is just uh, one more stair step on the way higher from here. Well, we know that all value is, is perceived value. It's all subjective. And it's, it's really based upon the mood of, of the traders combined with uh, rampant speculation and leverage. Leverage long for short, both directions can cause these wild swings in prices. And we never know when uh, regulators are going to come out and have new regulations. Biden's going to say something. Elon Musk is going to say something. All these players can, uh, can spook the industry and, and just a lot of momentum because there is um, just nothing tangible. There's no utility to the token other than used as a, as a limited supply um, 
asset uh, that's kind of trying to hedge against what the governments are doing with inflating the currencies. And, and that's so I view it as a, as a form of wealth that you can take anywhere in the world and is, doesn't take up any space. You can manage, uh, you can actually have custody of your Bitcoin uh, with uh, tens or more millions of dollars uh, and go anywhere in the world. Trying to do that with gold or silver is really challenging. So there's some value to that capability and that value can be undermined by regulations that would attempt to restrict how people can buy and sell and how the governments want to track and what you have to report to the IRS and who's doing the reporting. Um, and, and so all these things uh, factor into this massive volatility, but the undercurrent behind it all is just the, the steady destruction of the dollar, which is just a matter of time. Uh, and where else are you gonna put your money? Everything is inflated um, and, and can collapse. All right, great. I want to I want to actually pull at several threads that you mentioned there. Everything from speculation to regulation to uh, you know finding a store of wealth uh, to prevent against uh, protect against the the devaluation of fiat currencies. Um, all right. Well, let let's start with regulation because some of the recent news stories that that you know certainly were correlated with the recent drop in the crypto space. Um, can't say for sure whether they were causal or not. But um, were several nations coming out and saying, look, we're going to be ramping up uh, more aggressive regulation against the crypto space. Um, but before this recent downturn, um, maybe like a month ago or so, Turkey came out and basically said, look, we're just banning cryptocurrencies in our country. Um, but last week, not once, but twice, uh, China took pains to say, look, we're going to be going after miners, we're going to be curtailing miners, and we're going to be seeking to curtail just overall crypto transactions within our borders. In fact, they issued a warning to investors basically to you know, urge them to steer clear of the cryptocurrency space. So they seem to be getting a lot more serious about it. And then in the midst of all that, the U.S. Treasury announced that it was going to start uh, taxing all crypto transfers in excess of $10,000. Um, so, you know, it seems like the regulators who have largely been sort of watching from the sidelines over the past bunch of years are really beginning to finally sort of suit up for the game in terms of figuring out how they might want to, you know, curtail, constrain cryptocurrencies going forward. Um, how material is that? Do you, do you, you know, is that something that you think is a credible threat? And uh, you know, if if we are in in you know, to use a baseball analogy, what inning do you think we are in in terms of the centralized authorities really beginning to sort of start? Uh, I don't like to say declaring war on the cryptocurrencies, but at least you know, r really amping up the the regulation and the constraints they're going to put on it. The idea behind cryptocurrency was to create something that couldn't be regulated because it's so decentralized. There's no one country that has the ability to stop it. It's on everybody's computer. You'd have to like go after all the individual users. Uh, that was the idea, the design of the, at the beginning and it took the regulators a long time to figure out how to control it. Um, but as Bitcoin has gotten bigger and more and more money has been flowing in from institutional sources, publicly traded companies buying Bitcoin and the like, uh, they need a regulatory framework that allows them to uh, hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Uh, and so at, at the same time, we're seeing lots of acceptance by publicly traded companies. Now the regulators are coming in and trying to control it. And my prediction 
is that Bitcoin is going to be captured by the regulators in the same way that gold and silver were captured. Gold and silver are fully decentralized money, uh, but they're not necessarily easy to transact in in real life because or you have to deliver them in person or you have to rely on an intermediary. How do they shut it down? They regulate the banks, the intermediaries. Uh, Bitcoin is now becoming too expensive to transfer uh, and too risky to hold on your own, just like gold and silver. So everyone's holding Bitcoin on the exchanges and they're regulating the exchanges. Uh, and eventually uh, Bitcoin um, is going to be, no one's going to deal with Bitcoin. They're going to deal with IOU Bitcoins from regulated institutions, which can then evolve into fractional reserve Bitcoin and eventually no reserve Bitcoin, uh, you know, a hundred years from now. So if the regulators allow Bitcoin to continue uh, and don't shut it out, shut it down outright, uh, that's the direction I see it going. That doesn't mean Bitcoin won't go up in price. It doesn't mean speculators won't use it. It just means that it'll be controlled by the same system under the same rules that the that Bitcoin was created to disrupt, right? Bitcoin is created for people that can't get bank accounts to transact. And now you need a KYC and do all these things in order to use Bitcoin to kind of like suck Bitcoin back in. It might be called Bitcoin, but it's no longer the essence of what it once was. Right. Uh, and so is, is that the risk that you see here? So, so let's make this about Bitcoin specific for, for a moment. Um, so is, is, is when you talk about seeing the potential for that kind of future, am I hearing you right, where it's really sort of stripping away all the philosophical reasons why Bitcoin was created in the first place? Correct. Yeah. The only thing that remains is that Bitcoin's a little bit easier, easier to take physical possession of than gold. But with regulations, they're attempting to make it uh, illegal to hold it yourself uh, or impractical to hold it yourself because you have to do all this extra KYC. It's like having bundles of cash and going to the bank and they need to fill out a report. Taking Bitcoin is into your own control with your own keys is, and trying to spend it is like showing up and paying cash for a house. They start asking all these questions and no one wants to deal with it. So I think taxation is an issue to Bitcoin adoption uh, and regulation uh, and the power to tax is the power to destroy. Okay, so let me um, uh, let me dig into this just for a moment because I want to ask you this pet question that's just been bugging me ever since I tried to wrap my brain around Bitcoin, which is, um, you know, before cryptocurrencies, central banks were just hyper allergic to anything that even smelled like potential competition. Um, you know, e even the crazy guy who's sort of mining his own silver rounds in his garage, you know, this, the Secret Service would bust on the door and the guy would go to jail, right? They just wanted it to be clear to everybody that, hey, only the U.S. government makes U.S. money. And they've let the cryptos, you know, exist and kind of thrive for the time being. And the only way I've sort of been able to wrap my head around that is, is that they wanted to let the private sector do kind of the heavy lifting in terms of the, the, the technology development and to build awareness and maybe kind of critical mass of adoption. Um, and then I, you know, I sort of thought the only reason they'd be doing this is because they didn't want to step in with their own digital currency. And of course, now we're hearing a lot more about um, CBDCs, right? Central bank digital currencies. China's already got one piloting out there. The Fed, it sounds from what I've read recently, is pretty open saying, yeah, we're, we're working on a digital dollar. So once there is a digital dollar. Um, do you think then they will declare war on all other forms of, of competing digital currency? 
I don't know what they will do, but I, I do know that their power stems from control of the currency. I think you know, early on, no one would believe that this Bitcoin thing, which is not backed by anything, could have the value that it's had. Um, I, I also think there's an element that all fiat currencies needs a root of trust. Gold and silver was the basis. They couldn't just go straight to unbacked currency. They need to get the free market to value something and then they correct it and they siphon off the value over a hundred years. Uh, and so by getting people to trust blockchain, the, the whole idea, uh, then they can jump on that bandwagon and, and people continue to trust it even though it's, it's changed. It's no longer gold and silver, no longer Bitcoin, it's IOU Bitcoin. It's no longer open and free, you know, voluntary. It's now a system of slavery. Uh, but you know, Bitcoin is just one currency. There's many other tokens and there's many other uses for blockchain technology. Uh, I think that all businesses, all communities can benefit from coordinating on the blockchain even without any tokens. So the technology that makes Bitcoin possible allows us to bring integrity to any of our systems, uh, which is a double-edged sword uh, because uh, it, if you had complete integrity and the government could completely control everything, on the chain that strengthens the government to the extent that the government's using blockchain to prevent fraud, right? Right now, you know, there's a little bit of freedom by operating the cracks in the existing system, right? The lack of integrity of the government allows a little bit of freedom. But if everything starts leveraging blockchain, then there's gonna be less opportunity to operate outside the rules of the blockchain. Uh, and and that's a, so it's a double-edged sword, kind of like atomic energy. Yeah, that's actually a fascinating point. And, and that's the kind of discussion that I want to have with you soon on this program. But again, I think to try to dive into it right now would be doing it short shrift. Um, and also, you know, there's still a couple couple points here on the the uh, currency side that I still want to chat about. But but I, I do want to be really clear here. Um, a huge difference between a specific application like Bitcoin or whatnot um, versus just the blockchain technology itself. And I'm really not out to bash, certainly not out to bash the, the blockchain. In fact, I think it's transformative. I, I'm, I'm hugely inspired by it and, and I can't wait to learn more at the font of your wisdom about what it might be able to do for us going forward. Um, but where I'm, you know, reason why we're addressing you know, these questions today is, um, so much speculative money has flowed into the major cryptocurrencies recently. And I'm really sort of trying to drill down to, um, look, are they just speculative and they're just going to be wildly volatile? Um, but what we're seeing right now is still kind of business as usual. Or is the world really waking up to some of these issues that you and I are talking about right now, where investors may decide, wow, you know what? Bitcoin was the early lead horse, but it might not be the lead horse going forward. And if I can actually just dig into that, because as I've been trying to bring myself up the learning curve of cryptos as fast as I can recently, it's become less clear to me that Bitcoin can function as a world currency, um, sort of in the way that people, I think, initially envisioned it. And that's due to several limitations, some of which I understand, some of which I don't. Um, but that's you know like limited transaction processing capacity, or it's accelerating uh, energy consumption footprint and stuff like that. And what's been interesting to me is as, as I've dug into it, more and more of even sort of the big Bitcoin supporters seem to be kind of abandoning the currency part of it, 
um, and focusing more on the store of value. And I think you even said this a few minutes ago, um, that that's sort of where the, the, you saw its, its real value lying. Um, so, uh, and you know, we just saw Elon Musk, right, who basically said, look, I'm a fan of, of you know, blockchain and cryptos, but Tesla is not going to take Bitcoin as a form of payment. And specifically, he was citing the energy concern there. So I guess where I'm going to in this is, um, you know, we talked about some of the potential issues with Bitcoin, even as a store of value going forward. So um, is there a risk of Bitcoin kind of becoming the AOL of crypto? where it was a dominant early player, but kind of became, you know, surpassed and maybe eventually made almost irrelevant by newer, better players and technologies uh, that come around later. Um, do you see kind of that? Is that too pessimistic of you of Bitcoin or is that a real potential risk? Well, my entire career has been built around creating better technology than Bitcoin. I believe I've got some of the best blockchain technology out there. Uh, and, but it's not the technology that determines the value of things. The case can be made that look at Dogecoin, which is just the same exact technology and code as Bitcoin, made as a joke, and yet it's the fourth highest valued, or at one point it was like the fourth highest valued blockchain out there. Yeah, fifth today. Uh, and but yeah, I want to talk to you about Because Elon that. Musk says something about it, right? Uh, and, and people are just having fun, and, and so people are speculating on it. Uh, this, there's no innovation there. It's just a clone of Bitcoin and, and it has that. Meanwhile, other tokens with a lot of innovation can stagnate because it's really about the brand recognition uh, and uh, you know, community adoption. Uh, in, in this case, it's the community of wealthy people that want to leverage the, the token and they get a position and they, you know, they manipulate the markets in various ways. Uh, to make a profit by it. And so there's so many variables that go beyond just saying, uh, I'm going to invest in the best technology. Even if you understand the technology better than anyone else, it doesn't necessarily make you a better investor. I don't consider myself a good speculator in, in any of these things, um, even though I, I create the technology, I understand the consensus algorithms. Uh, I know, know about the performance limitations uh, and capabilities and, and can predict the future. Like I predicted Bitcoin scalability issues with Satoshi uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and, and all those things are coming to, coming to pass now. So it's not just a matter of- so, Sorry to interrupt, but I want to give you recognition for that, your due props, because that is accurate. And uh, you know, it took a long time, I think, for, for you to feel validated on that, but I think you should now. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, so bottom line is when you're speculating uh, in cryptocurrencies, because that's what you're doing, you're buying it from someone else, you're not investing in a project, someone else is exiting while you're entering. It's pure speculation, just like you would speculate on any other commodity. Um, and you know, you're really betting on the emotional herds of the masses, which things are going to become popular. Uh, and so that's why it's really hard to give any advice. I can tell you, you know, which algorithms are likely to have limitations and things like that. But this is a social phenomenon. Uh, it depends as much by which powerful influencers adopt various chains like Elon Musk saying something about Doge and sending it up. Uh, that is what's driving this. And unless you've got the inside scoop on what some of these people are doing, um, the only other thing you can do is look at the macro trend, which is that there's trillions of dollars being printed. And even if a small portion of them flush over into the space, prices go up uh, across the entire crypto space. Um, 
And, and so I would, I would look at the relative value of gold and silver to the cryptocurrency space compared to the mountain of other assets out there and realize that everything is overvalued. Uh, in fact, I would almost say that you could consider Apple stock or Tesla stock uh, valuations to be a very similar to cryptocurrencies because they're not tied to actual income and earnings in many cases. They're just speculation and floating out there. They've got a story that they're tied to these things, but the valuations are disconnected from reality. Uh, almost like you know, Bitcoin's valuation is disconnected from any type of revenue stream or business model other than the fact that it exists as a store of value. And I think that's what's going on in the stock market with a lot of the, the big stocks. I feel like oh, stocks are just another form of currency that people are using that you have to go into and out of dollars to trade. But you know, that's, that's, what I, that's how I understand the stock market in terms of what I see going on in the crypto market. Um, well, look, I, I would completely and totally agree with you about that. And that's actually kind of, again, why I wanted to have this interview is because personally, I'm so concerned about the excessive level of speculation in the market in general, right? And, and many people, myself included, have called the era that we're in the everything bubble, right? Where it's hard to find an asset class that that hasn't been driven to levels of speculative excess. Um, I'm kind of zeroing in on the cryptocurrencies because I think they're one of the um, most extreme examples of that, from from my opinion, and yours might differ, other people's opinions may differ, mm -hmm. but um, certainly with the volatility in, in there, you know, it's one where um, a lot of people who are sort of jumping on the social phenomena and not necessarily understanding the technology or the real underlying value proposition, they can be throwing a lot of, um, you know, a lot of their net worth into a space that they really don't understand well and be putting money that they, uh, it's at higher risk than they realize. And, it, it, and for many of these people, it really might be more money than they can really afford to lose. And at the end of the day, I think that's why I want to be sort of helping people, you know, have the clearest perspective as possible so that as many of those people can really truly know the, the, the parameter, the risk parameters of what they're doing. Um, all right, so let's see here. Um, I guess I do want to just revisit my earlier question real quick before we leave it, which is, you know, I heard you say, hey, look, you know, I'm not going to make predictions because, you know, sometimes the best mousetrap uh, doesn't have, uh, doesn't become the sales leader, you know, if, if somebody else has got a better brand or, or whatever. But if I could just ask you to just sort of for your opinion, um, you know, in five years time, um, do you think Bitcoin will be sort of the dominant store of value um, I won't even say currency, but sort of dominant store of value uh, solution? Or, or do you think that some of these better players that either exist today or, or maybe on the drawing board coming out tomorrow um, have a better chance of really fulfilling that role in a way that the majority of investors would prefer? Um, because of regulation, I think that the brand is going to win. Um, and Bitcoin brand is going to win and all the other smaller startups with better technology are going to have a harder time competing uh, against the established brands that exist because they're kind of, there's a status quo and they're already accepted as decentralized. So the longer something's been around, the more likely it is to continue to be around. Um, the only upstarts that I could see taking over would be something that if uh, Amazon or Apple or Google got behind or the central banks were backing uh, combined with regulation. I think those are the only things that could dethrone the digital currency uh, status. However, 
you know, when it comes to decentralized alternative cash that frees people from government, I, I don't think that's going to be Bitcoin. And I don't think it's going to be Ethereum. So those brands might be the best speculative bet um, in, the, in the space, but they're not going to be the best bet if you want technology for freedom. If, uh, so that's depends on what goal and how you're measuring success. Okay, okay, I, th I think that's, that's very fair. Um, so two, two things out of that. Um, first, um, and I know that, that you don't have an unbiased opinion here given the projects that you've helped bring to fruition, um, but uh, that solution that you think does do a better job of um, you know, creating a, a truly decentralized out of the control of the central bankers' um, clutches and whatnot. Um, do you perceive that to be a solution that's already been launched today, or do you think that's a solution that has yet to be released into the world? Uh, I'd say it's a solution that's in the process of being launched and tested right now. Obviously, I did EOS, and EOS is based on delegated proof of stake and, uh, and whatnot, but um, there's the Pareto principle, which is the 80-20 rule. It's the you know 1% of the people and 51% of the wealth rule. It's just a, a fact of nature. And whether you're talking about Bitcoin mining or influence in political systems or whatnot, that tends to be the, the structure of most systems. And so how do we design a governance system that protects the independence of the people uh, and maintains decentralization? So that's what I'm pursuing. And that's what I call Eden, which we talked about a little bit earlier, or Eden OS, um, which is, I guess, the system, the operating system for doing governance that eliminates incumbent advantage, uh, is immune to political parties, um, and a number of other things. It's kind of a fractal structure to governance that maintains independence uh, and maximizes the power and influence that each individual has in society as a whole. That's the area I'm researching, because I think that having people collaborate and coordinate together to reach consensus uh, is the most powerful thing. And it's the thing governments and people in power try to stop. Uh, and they don't want us to reach consensus on a new currency because they would lose their power. They don't want us to reach consensus on any number of things that impact their power. And so they, they divide us. Uh, and we can all agree that we don't like the system that exists, but they won't allow us to agree on a new system. Uh, and, and so that's what I'm working on. And I think that a currency based on that system that uh, rewards independence of communities and can operate at small scales and in a fractal kind of structure, that's the future. That's what I'm working on. Uh, and that's why I wrote my book, More Equal Animals, to really dive into the, uh, the structure of society if you care about individual freedom. All right, excellent. So um, a couple of things. First, folks, um, more equal animals. If you haven't read the book, but you're interested by what Dan said, uh, go get it. Um, you can find it easily online. Just Google more equal animals, Dan Larimer, it'll come up. Um, I'll also, uh, right here on the video, we'll put up a little um, link here at the top. I got a link to the video that uh, Dan, Mike Maloney and I did, uh, what, about a month ago or so, where we, we, we did dig a bit um, certainly more deeply than we've had time to hear uh, into Dan's uh, Eden project there. And, and Dan, again, I want to have you back on again in the future to really dive deeply into that stuff because I think it's super fascinating and, and, and inspiring in terms of you know, what this may enable for us going forward. Um, all right. So in just the, the last couple of minutes as I wrap up here, um, I, I want to I put some words in your mouth based upon what you just said, and feel free to correct me if they're wrong. But 
I think one of the risks uh, that that you know novice investors have about uh, looking at Bitcoin specifically um, is that, um, or even Ethereum, but but that that Bitcoin um, could be replaced tomorrow or in a year by Bitcoin 2.0. I mean, it's just code. It can be improved. There's lots of limitations in the Bitcoin code. Um, so if somebody just improved upon them and launched a, a better version, in theory, all the capital that's in Bitcoin could trundle over into you know new better coin. Um, kind of what I hear you saying is, is, you know what, hey, anything's possible, but you don't really see Bitcoin losing its its number one status in the, the cryptocurrency space uh, from market value uh, anytime soon based upon that type of risk. Is that is that accurate? Correct. Correct. I think the biggest risk to Bitcoin is not something new. Uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum are both out there with big backers backing them with large communities. And I think that you know, there's going to be some back and forth between those two. Uh, my hope is that you know, community wins, use wins. Um, and you know, EOS is the only cryptocurrency that's actually able to be used as a currency in places like Argentina, where there's hyperinflation, because it's the only one where the fees are low enough that it can actually function for doing real business transactions. Right? You can't use Bitcoin on that because the transaction fees are higher than the people can afford. Uh, right? They can even buy bread and you want to pay 20, 50, $100 for a transaction. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, EOS is like best for practical real world currency because of the scale and the low transaction costs uh, during hyperinflation in the countries that are experiencing it. Bitcoin and Ethereum, they, they've established large market players know about them. You know, they're, they're on TV. They're not going anywhere, and the money might be flowing back and forth between them like they do gold and silver. But the brands and the awareness, that's what people are investing in. They're not investing in the technology itself. Um, you could swap out the technology of Bitcoin with something else and it just move the Bitcoin brand the over brand, to the new yeah. technology. And, and it's just a token with a scarce supply and keys that control it. You can completely replace the software stack and, and keep the brand. And I think that that's what's going to happen is that the Bitcoin brand is going to win even as it moves into more centralized infrastructure. Okay, well, I, I think particularly coming from you that that's a that's really important perspective. Um, and so, you know, some of the people that are out there who are just saying, hey, Bitcoin's going to zero, you know, it's, a, you know, it, it, it's whatever, it's a scam, it's a shell game, it's just not worth, you know, what people are paying for it. Um, keep in mind what Dan is saying there about the, the importance of, perception, um, brand dominance, et cetera. Um, all right, so uh, last main point here, and then I just wanna kind of get to your parting comments about you know, what, what, what makes you excited when you look forward in this space. Um, we talked earlier about speculation and um, prices have been certainly in the past year, um, just, you know, most cryptocurrencies have experienced um, uh, increases of hundreds of percent, if not thousands of percent. And we talked earlier about kind of this being just a highly speculative market environment in general, but the cryptos have really been sort of at the tip of the spear then. Um, we even briefly talked about or mentioned Dogecoin, um, which to me, I think is just the poster child for the excess of this market. I mean, I feel like if, if, if we do have a major market crash of the kind that like the Jeremy Grantham's of the world are warning about. I think when historians write about this period, they're going to highlight Dogecoin as kind of this generation's Dutch tulip bulb. 
um, because as you said, Dan, you know, there's really not any good practical reasons to own it. There's just emotionally driven ones. Um, and so I guess my, my, my main question for you, especially with so many millions of new and really kind of novice investors uh, throwing their money into the crypto space these days um, through, you know, trading apps like Robinhood, et cetera, and whatnot, um, uh, you know, this sort of FOMO driven fever, um, it, it, it really concerns me. How concerned are you about it? You know, does it, does it, I mean, one, I guess there's the public harm that it could create if we do have a massive, you know, wipeout event in this space and all those people lose their money. But also does it just sort of undermine credibility in the whole crypto space um, if, if it is prone to like just massive investor wipeouts? I'm not surprised at all by this. You know, GameStop is an example of the same thing happening in traditional assets. Anytime a currency nears collapse, whether it's Germany, you know, 100 years ago, uh, speculation is the only hope people have to make enough money to stay ahead of the inflation. People are forced to speculate uh, and they see some people winning massively and they think that's my ticket because gambling is the only hope because investing no longer makes sense given the environment. So everything I see going on here is completely predictable and I would expect it to continue until the currency collapses. It's just gonna get more and more excessive speculation, more and more volatility. Um, and then the government's gonna raise capital gains taxes at the same time they're inflating the currency, which is just wealth confiscation, um, flat out, which is going to leave, lead to poverty of society until a new currency can be deployed and government spending can be reined in. Uh, so this doesn't surprise me at all. There's no regulation that's going to fix this unless they're willing to stop printing money. Uh, and if they stop printing money, then the entire debt system collapses and, you, and everyone defaults and musical chairs stop. So you know, it's, it's, which way do we want to die? One way or another, the economy is going to have to shrink back to actual assets and and not paper claims on things, right? It's a game of musical chairs. Everyone thinks they have a chair, but when the music stops, either the by inflation or deflation, not everyone's going to have a chair to sit in. And, and that's the reality of our economy right now. Uh, and what you see in crypto is just people gambling, trying to uh, outrun the tidal wave of, of um, monetary destruction heading our way. All right. Well, well said. And it, it kind of it's a great answer, although it kind of makes it a little harder for me to I, I, I was the question I'm trying to answer in folks' heads here is, um, look, is the crypto space just kind of ridiculously overvalued right now? And is it better to you know, sort of wait for um, some sort of price correction where you can you can have at least slightly more empirical you know, argument for investing in it? Um, and part of me thinks that you would say, yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. There's a lot of speculation in there. But, but also what I hear you saying is, is, but the prices could still continue rising on the long run uh, as long as the government is continuing uh, its de debasement and devaluation of the currency because this is what happens uh, in rising, and, and rising inflation, maybe on the way to hyperinflation, where speculation really is the only way that most participants believe that they can they can get ahead of the currency debasement rate. Um, uh, all right, so I'll stop there. But did, 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 I, did I correctly summarize your position there? Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you that cryptocurrencies are overpriced because there's no basis upon which to say what a fair price is. 
for these things other than, it, oh, it went up too quickly. Well, maybe the dollar went down too quickly. Uh, you know, there's, there's two sides to all these things and, and perceptions are changing constantly. So uh, yeah, it's not possible to say that things are overheated or underheated or, or any of these things in this market because there is no rationale for the prices unless you have information about flows of money and insider track on what the government regulations are going to be uh, or big players about to move. Uh, unless you're unless you got that type of information, which I don't have uh, access to any more than anyone else, uh, it's really hard to to predict and say which way things are going to go. The only thing I can accurately predict is that the dollar is going to lose value, shortages are going to continue, and prices are going to inflate, uh, and speculation is going to increase across all asset classes uh, in the years ahead. Uh, that, and I don't know how long it's going to take. But I, I know that's the direction of the economy, and it can go up and down a lot between now and and the final destruction of the dollar and replacement with something else. All right. Well, I think it's a great I think it's a great summation, and I, I do just want to zero in your point of, of the volatility, the up and down. And uh, you know, I, I I think folks watching take from this um, that prices of the cryptocurrencies are are heavily, heavily driven by speculation for one very important reason that Dan mentioned. There's no easy way to value them. Uh, you know, I, I will say in the same breath that stocks are, are extremely overvalued as well, but there are, there are empirical ways to value a stock and to judge whether it is overvalued or undervalued. We don't really have that sort of true north when it comes to the individual cryptocurrencies. And, and why the volatility matters so much here is, to Dan's point, so many people, and particularly right now, the younger generations are, you know, they're looking at the, the fast accelerating cost of living. They're looking at wages that have been stagnant to date. We'll see if, if some wage inflation begins to kick in here. But they're basically seeing that they're playing a loser's game, right? Their, their costs are rising faster than their income. The price of everything around them um, is already largely out of reach. I mean, if you're you know, 28 years old and you want to buy a house, you know, it's, it's a real stretch for a lot of folks there. Um, and there's no reward. In fact, there's punishment for saving, right? There's no return that you get on your savings. Um, so you're forced out on the risk curve. And so a lot of millennials, and I've been hearing directly from a lot of them um, as we've been covering the story, you know, they say, you're absolutely right. Like my only hope of buying a home is to be able to throw my money into some crypto that's going to go up by 500%, right? And of course, that is about as, as highly speculative as you can get. That's like, you know, going into the casino and basically just betting it all on black. So, um, it, you know, it, it's, that's not a healthy society. And Dan, I'm not here to have you, um, you know, uh, provide the answers to all of society's ills. But a lot of what you work on in the blockchain is actually trying to set the foundation to do that going forward. So I, I really do want to commend and recognize you for that. And again, I want to have you back on the program to go into that in depth. But as we wrap up here, um, let's try to end on a bit of a positive note. Um, what, what about, um, you know, the current uh, technologies, the current uh, community? Um, just sort of where you see the world headed. What are the things that, that really make you optimistic when you, or, or, or what are you most optimistic, I guess, when you look out ahead in the next bunch of years, uh, either with the projects you're working on or just where you see the platform going in the future? Yeah, most optimistic is, well, you know, things go in cycles and hard times teach the population a lot of things. 
Uh, and so this, the speculation, everything else uh, is more and more people learning about sound money, sound economics and so forth. And, the, and we have the technology to create honest systems uh, and technology is getting cheaper. So I'm very optimistic about where society can come out of the ashes of, of things uh, as, as we learn these, um, the hard lessons of what happens when you spend more than you produce. Um, and that's, I guess that leaves me optimistic because of the internet, because of shows like this, uh, that people are getting educated in, in large numbers, unlike any other time in history. Um, and, and that gives me hope. All right, great. Well, I think that's great to end on. Um, Dan, thank you so much. Really look forward, if you're willing, to have you back on this channel and really dive into the technology side of things and the solutions that the blockchain's gonna be able to enable. For folks that have really enjoyed this conversation um, and would like to learn more about you and your work, including the, the projects that you're working on, where should they go? Uh, well, you can read about my book at moreequalanimals.com. Uh, and you can join the um, EOS and Eden community at eoscommunity.org. Uh, those are the two places where uh, my, my things I'm working on are being published and talked about. And you can also follow me on Twitter at ByteMaster7. All right, great. Uh, when we edit this video, I'll put up the URLs there so folks can see clearly where to go to. All right, folks. Well, as we end here, um, I just want to say if you've enjoyed this discussion and would like to see more like it, if you haven't yet already, please subscribe to this channel by clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as the little bell icon right next to that. And with that, Dan, I'm going to say thank you so much again. And everybody else, thanks for watching. Thanks for having me.